All right, so today we're going to talk about John the Baptist, uh, and the first thing, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say John the Baptist? Locusts, right. So I, I saw Jay came in and, and I, in the back, and Jay's like, oh, so we're going to talk about camel hair and locusts today. And uh, I said, yes, I'm going to create a message to explain to everybody why we all need to dress in camel hair and eat locusts uh, for, the, for the rest of our life. But uh, no, not necessarily. But John is one that we generally classify as like he's just a crazy man. Um, and uh, we say, well, he... He ate locusts, he ate honey, he was out in the desert, he had camel hair, and, that's, and then we move on. And John is somebody that even Jesus said is one of the greatest of these prophets. So I think we need to pay attention a little bit to who John is and what he did. It's in, John is written about in all four Gospels. So all four Gospels, uh, you can look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, chapters 1, 2, or 3. And actually, I would, in, I would encourage you this week to do that, um, because each of the Gospels have something slightly different to add to about who John is and why John is important and why he's come. So I'm going to read, um, actually, I'm not going to do that yet. So I want you to consider this. It's been 400 years since the Israelites have heard from God. They've heard nothing. No prophets, no voices, no nothing. They, they are reflecting and despairing a little bit uh, because they're remembering their first journey out of Egypt, their first exodus in the wilderness where God was with them. He manifested himself to them. He tabernacled with them. He lived with them. He was a cloud moving with them. He was in a tent with them. He spoke with Moses, one of their greatest prophets who gave them the laws of the five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. Now this feels like this 400 years, if you can imagine, is another wilderness experience. Nothing from God. They've heard absolutely nothing from him. But yet, they're waiting for a prophet like Moses. A conquering Messiah king like David. Not so much, though, the suffering servant. Or the suffering lamb or the beloved Son of God. They constantly remember and bring forth and tell their people about what Isaiah said. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for God. They remember the prophecies of the last prophet, the last thing that God said, and they remind their people that a Messiah is coming. Malachi said in 3.1, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way for me. Behold, I am going to send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. They're remembering and recalling these prophecies and longing for that voice in the wilderness. They want to move out of the wilderness and have that similar Exodus experience coming out of Egypt. So now you have this man that we just kind of say is some crazy guy down by the river, out in the desert, near Bethany. The Pharisees, Sadducees, and priests, they all send somebody down to see who this person is. Down by the river. He's in the desert of Bethany. It's in the middle of nowhere. It is populated, but it's in the wilderness. He's baptizing with water. He's dressed like Elijah. 
with leather belt and poor clothes, the robe of a camel hair, calling out Eliza's prophecy, a voice calling in the wilderness. See, the rabbis and the people, that would not surprise them. They would expect to hear something like that. They would hope to hear something like that. So having someone who is now prophesying and doing these things, it caught their attention because they recalled what the Old Testament prophecies would be. And the rabbis taught that Elijah would return to prepare and announce the coming of the Messiah. They just had the wrong idea of what the Messiah would look like. In the wilderness, in the desert, a man prophesying, wearing prophet's clothing. It's not lost on the Jewish people. It's not lost on the leaders. And they ask three questions that we're going to go through today. And John, that we're going to read today, they ask two of them. And the third question comes from Luke. So they say, who are you? And they say, why are you baptizing? And they say, well, what are we to do? What are we to do? So I pray today that you'll hear what John is calling us to do and not be so dismissive of the crazy man in camel hair. As I said, he's covered in all four gospels. So I'm going to reference some, some, I'm going to read from John, but I am going to reference all four gospels. And I would again encourage you, as I said earlier, to go and look at these different perspectives and dig deeper with yourself and your families to say, what is John, what is this voice calling us to do? And we're going to look kind of throughout with several different perspectives. John the disciple, John the Baptist himself, Zechariah, his father, which Luke the disciple wrote about, Matthew and Jesus' particular words from Matthew. So we're going to look at those perspectives. And I think that's important because in today's world, we intellectually know who people are. Like we intellectually know who Jesus is. I want you to intellectually know who John is. Um, But the reason I say that is because John is calling you to do something with your heart. And we're going to talk about that. But the witness piece is important because in the court of law today, does anybody know how many witnesses you need to substantiate a claim. You need at least two. You need two witnesses in the court of law to say, hey, this is actually what happened. Well, I'm going to bring you four or five today that are going to bring witness to who John is, what his purpose is, and hopefully, I think, move it from an intellectually knowing who John is and the Messiah that he's leading us to and to working on our heart. So the first question is, who are you? So let's look at John 1, 19 through 24. It says, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So this is an important part. And they're asking who John is. And they say, notice what they say. Who are you so we may give an answer? These Pharisees are not going down there. The Pharisees and the scribes and the priests and the Levites are not going down there to be baptized necessarily. They're going down there to find out who John is and report back. He actually calls them out on that in some cases, in some of the other uh, gospels. But it's important to note that we not get confused. They're used to ceremonial cleansing. 
the Jewish leaders at that time went through a process of ceremonial cleansing so they would be made right with God before they either preached or before they went into the temple. That is not what John's doing here, but it is have some symbolism of cleansing, right? But they were there to get answers. They recall the wilderness, the prophet Isaiah uh, and, and Elijah coming, and they see his dress. And he says, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah. And he quotes Isaiah, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And the Greek term here is actually a herald. So a herald is somebody when a king or somebody of nobility comes, they're the ones who make sure everyone's out of the way, right? So that the king can walk, not stumble or ride and, and, and appear very uh, noble and people don't get in the way. So John here is a herald who clears the path for nobility. The reference here as I'll allude to, is not just clearing a physical path, but it's also preparing your hearts. So you may think it's clearing a path, but it's really how are we clearing the way for the Lord to enter our heart. Now, the most popular thing that I had talked about was John's clothing and what he ate. So believe it or not, um, one of the commentators, James Kelhoffer, says, even the food, drink, and dress of John preached his message. So Elijah actually wore a leather belt. Prophets in those times actually wore poor or camel hair clothing. Actually so much so that in the Old Testament, when there were a lot of false prophets, they told the actual prophets to take off their robes of camel hair so they would see the false prophets show up who were still wearing the camel hair. So what he's wearing is not some crazy thing. As a matter of fact, the Gospels never make any reference to the fact that John is crazy. We just say that right? No one says John is crazy. They knew why he was showing up that way in the prophet's clothing. We also know that locusts and grasshoppers, how many of you know that locusts and gra- grasshoppers were one of the, are one of the few four-legged insects that were considered clean in the Old Testament? So God actually says, if you're going to eat a four-legged insect, now my sister-in-law has captured these and cooked them and they taste like potato chips. She's a little strange. Um, but it is kind of funny. It tastes like a potato chip. Um, but actually, the four-legged insects, so John is eating something clean. We also know elsewhere in the Gospels that John did not have any strong drink, so he's not a drunkard. So he's setting himself apart, right? So he's only eating clean food, and he's wearing the poor prophet clothing. And this would not have been lost on the Jewish leaders. So even what he ate and drank speaks to who he is. Now, we also know, does anyone remember what John's relationship is to Jesus? His cousin, right? We don't actually know how well he knew John, but we do know they were cousins, okay? Um, And his father, Zacharias, and Elizabeth Mary had visited them, right? We also know from John, from what Jeff preached last week, that John was sent from God as a witness, so we know what he's eating and, and, and what he's eating and how he's dressed is giving a message that he's sent from God. We know he's related to Jesus as a cousin. The angel of the Lord in Luke tells Zechariah this, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. So we know that John was filled with the Holy Spirit and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God, and he will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. 
So what he ate and drank meant something. His relationship meant something to Jesus. He was sent from God, filled with the Holy Spirit, forerunner in the spirit and power of Elijah. His father, Zacharias, in Luke, says, calls him the prophet of the Most High to go and prepare, the Lord, prepare his ways for the Lord. And that reference from his own father, when his father had taken him to the temple, that reference was back to Malachi that I just read earlier. So now we have John is referencing the prophecies of himself from Isaiah. We have Zacharias and later Jesus actually also referencing Malachi that John is in fact who the prophecy is speaking out. Speaking about, Jesus says this in Matthew, that John is more than a prophet. It is the one about whom it is written, again, referencing Malachi, and that he is the Elijah to come. And later Jesus says, Elijah already did come, but they did not recognize him. So who is John? Who am I? Now, you might ask, I don't know if you picked up on it, but John says, I am not Elijah, I am not a prophet, and then you have Jesus and some of the, uh, his father and the angel of the Lord saying, yes, he is a prophet, yes, he is Elijah. So what is this disconnect? There's a couple reasons. One is John's humility. He's not pointing to himself. He's pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. The second is, he is not the literal Elijah. He is in the power and the spirit of Elijah, right? We know this because later on in the transfiguration that they didn't say John the Baptist was there. They said Elijah. And Jesus says, I tell you, Elijah is going to come later. But Elijah has already come before and they didn't recognize him. So the idea is that he is the greatest prophet who did come as a forerunner in the spirit of Elijah, but he may not have been necessarily the literal Elijah. But the idea is that John is the one who was prophesied to come as a forerunner of Christ. So he sits in the middle of looking back to the Old Testament and looking forward to the Messiah. And we have to make sure we remember that. Jesus himself says he is the greatest of these prophets. He's the voice crying in the wilderness. So John isn't just some crazy man to say, okay, John the Baptist, let's read about Jesus. Jesus is important, but John is the herald who clears the way. And he's trying to prepare people's hearts, the Jewish, the Jewish people particularly, to the fact that, hey, you've been in the wilderness for many years. Your Messiah is coming. And I think we can remember that as well. John's importance of saying the Messiah is here. So the second part, second question was why was John baptizing? So we know who he is. Prophet. Filled with the spirit and power of Elijah. Jesus' cousin. Why he wore is what he wore. Why he ate what he ate. But why was John baptizing? So before we read that, I want to tell you a separate story. So uh, has anyone ever gotten lost, like really lost? Now, I don't, I don't mean like in the middle of the city uh, lost because the, the guy won't ask for directions lost. I don't, I don't mean that. I mean like in the wilderness, lost, you have no sense of direction, no one to tell you where you are, lost. Has anyone ever experienced that? So I remember scouting one time, and we were hiking the Palisades, and uh, we were we had to make you had a right turn or a left turn, 
right, to make. And uh, we had to, all the scouts had to make the left turn and go up the cliff to the camp. And we got back to the camp, and we were missing two scouts. Uh, and these two scouts were lost, and I, I as thought about it, I said, well, I think they made the right turn. Now, the right turn, mind you, was also had this nice sign on it that said, caution, do not go here, large rocks, scrambling, you know, be prepared for that type of thing. It had a big caution sign, so I said, okay, that's exactly where they are. Sure enough, they went down there, and I went back, and I was, was kind of scrambling up the big rocks, and I called their name. And we're not my sons, by the way, but two close friends who are now Eagle Scouts, by the way. So, uh, um, and then you hear, Mr. Copco. And they're coming off of this, climbing down this boulder that's twice the size of them, by the way. And you can see their eyes are like this. <gasps> and it's almost dusk, and we found them. Now, I asked them the question. I said, what happened? And they said, well, we went right. The map said to go Right. Well, what happened? I said, show me the map. What happened is their map orientation was wrong. So a lot of times people will read the map the way it reads. And they won't use the compass to orient it north. And in this case, their right was left and their left was right. They went the wrong way. All right? So why am I telling you this? Because I want you to know that we are the map. And we need to be oriented. The only way you could orient a map is with a compass. You have to put the compass on the map and you find out where true north is. Because map, many of you might not know that north on a map actually has an arrow up north. But that technically is not north. That's why a lot of kids are like, oh yeah, north is up there. No, it, it's actually. You have to put the compass on the map and then turn it north, and now the map is oriented correctly. You need a compass. We are the map that needs orientation. John is the compass because John is providing the way to true north, which is Jesus the Messiah. And I want you to remember that as we talk about why John is baptizing. So I'm going to read the rest of the chapter in John 1, 25-34 here, if you want to follow along. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where, excuse me, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for the purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. So why was John baptizing? Really two reasons. One, his father talks about that a little bit in Luke to give people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. And later in Luke, it says to preach baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
John himself says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And even his quotation with Isaiah Isaiah says, I am the voice, make straight the way of the Lord. Again, talking about our hearts. In Matthew and Luke, John also makes reference to bringing forth the fruit in keeping with repentance and not begin to say that we have Abraham for our father. So what does this mean? The first thing why John is baptizing is to prepare our hearts. It's amazing when I teach scouts or adults of how to orient a map, how they keep putting the map back in the way they can read it. So I just had the, the, the great experience of going up to West Point for a program up there. And um, they had, we, had, we did some orienteering. And I can't tell you time and time again with adults how after they found one point, I would have to say, stop, reorient the map. And inevitably, they had to do this and go the other way to keep the Hudson River on their left side, right? So you have to constantly reorient the map. So we, John is calling us to prepare our hearts so that we can reorient ourselves. Prepare our hearts through a sense of repentance. The second, which I just read, is to bear witness of the light, Jesus is the life and the light. John said he came to bear witness of the light and that he bore witness of him. We clearly see in John that John testifies to Jesus, the Lamb of God, the suffering servant. Now remember, they were thinking Messiah, King David, conquering king, great prophet, Moses, but they missed the suffering servant, the Lamb of God. That's why God said they didn't even necessarily follow what John said or understand what he was calling them to do. He says, prepare the way of the Lord, the way for the Lord, which is prepare ourselves. So there's two reasons why John was baptizing. One, to reorient your map, to prepare your hearts towards a relationship with God the Father. The second is to be the compass, to bear witness to Jesus, to point the way to true north, who's the life that was the light of men. Now, the last question that gets asked, so we've talked about who John was, why are you baptizing? The last question that was asked in Luke is, well, then what shall we do? What shall we do? I'm just going to read it real quick. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also come to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers asked him, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not exhort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be content with your wages. So the question there is, what shall we do? And it's really three things. The first, as I alluded to, is to repent and be baptized. John clearly is saying we have to reorient ourselves. So if we're an unbeliever, hopefully you're listening to the witnesses that say, hey, we have to reorient our hearts to a relationship with God because we're separated with him. If you're a young person, you still have the faith of your mother and father and you're here because they coerce you to come, you still have to prepare your own heart for accepting Jesus. If you're a believer, how can you reorient your map in the way that you can be pointed to true north? 
Are there some challenges that you're not turning over to that relationship with God? So repent and be baptized. Turn your heart towards true north, as John the compass guides us to. The second that John was alluding to in this Luke passage I just read, first walk in humility. We see John saying, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. The second is bear fruit. Bear fruit that is in keeping with repentance. So if you're familiar with uh, the word of God, you're probably thinking fruit of the spirit, love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? So, but the idea is if we are reoriented towards Christ, we would bear fruit, right? We would bear that fruit, walking in humility, John talking about them sharing what you have, giving your tunics, giving your money, hopefully reflects back on what Jesus' parables say. It might look back to one of the prophets of Micah that says, seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God, and look forward to what Jesus says in his parables and his commandments to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. The last So of the three things, the last is bear witness. John is the witness that Christ has come. John has had four or five witnesses to suggest that John is the prophet that prepares the way for Christ. So John is the compass that orients us north. So he's not some crazy guy out in the desert, in the wilderness, eating some strange things. But he is the greatest prophet that Jesus says, all the prophets lead up to John and then tell about me. He is the compass. He does bear witness to Jesus. And like that, what he is called to do is very reminiscent of what Jesus calls calls us to do. Go and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So now we know who John was. We know why he was baptizing, to prepare our hearts and to bear witness. And we know there's three things that he's calling us to do. Repent and be baptized, be reoriented, like the map. You might be going the wrong way. John is a witness to help you reorient, to where? True north. Repent and be baptized, bear fruit. And like the compass that John is directing us towards, bear witness to the true way, the way, the truth, and the life so that we can have a right relationship with God.